Hi, and welcome to the Sailorville Church Podcast. My name is Abe Miller, and I'm here with our high school director, Andrew Bush. Andrew. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It's going great. It's good to be here with you. I think this is um, this is the first time that just you and I have done a podcast together. It is. I've done this podcast twice before, but you weren't on it with me. Yep. So... Yeah, and you've been you've been on staff at Sailorville for how long as the high school director? Since 2018, started as an intern and was doing that for like six months, and then became the high school director that summer. So, yeah, yeah. And then Jeannie, and you've got uh, two kids. Yep. How old are they? Alice, she will be five real soon in the month of April, and Ezra just turned two this past December. Yep. Yep, crazy. Yeah, so I I have five kids, and I think all of them, yes, all of them have gone through, at least for a period of time, with you in the high school ministry, right? Yeah. Got uh, two left. Yep. Isaac, your oldest, he was in there when I started. Yeah. He was a rebel child. Yep. Out of control. Out of control. And we fixed him up for you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Prayer worked. <laughs> Prayer changes everything, baby. And then, uh, yep. And uh, now you you've got Lucy in there, and and Zeke, and Zeke. Yep. Lucy's the last of the Mohicans. Last of the Millers. Yep. 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 Well, we appreciate what you do and what you guys do, and your team does there uh, with the high school. And you got to you got to preach to our church this last Sunday, which was you've done a couple Wild. times now. Yeah, I'm yeah. shocked they allowed me back. <laughs> no, it was really good. It was encouraging and, and challenging. I, I'm excited to even have this conversation with you about prayer. But why don't you just give a quick overview of the passage, kind of where you went, some of the some of the main points. We don't have to obviously talk about all of them, but and then we'll dig into some. I know, I know one of the things we're going to talk about is you had mentioned in the message about oil, so we'll get to that at some point, but oh go boy. ahead. Oh, boy. Yeah, so... Uh, we're in our James series. We're getting close to the end, and uh, as we round the horn on the the series in James, he launches into this segment on prayer. And I'll just read the passage that I went through real quick. Uh, he says, "Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick?" Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working." And so we just walked through that, and we kind of drew out this outline where at the beginning— He's talking about personal prayer, whether you're suffering or whether you're cheerful, then prayer is your go-to um, recourse there. And then there's this sort of intercessory prayer that you see for someone who's sick. Um, the word is literally, it means weak, to be weak, and uh, usually means physical sickness, but it could possibly refer to spiritual uh, weakness or weakness in your faith. And, and so you call for the elders to come and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, and their prayer uh, is what restores you, it raises you up. And then uh, 
lastly, in verse 16, it, it talks about corporate prayer, praying for one another. And so basically, we just look through that. We see all these examples of how James says, man, when you're suffering, when you're cheerful, you pray. When you're sick, you pray. To confess your sins, you pray along with that. And the reason is because prayer is what changes everything. And so we were, we were saying prayer changes everything, and therefore yeah. we want to be praying people. Yeah, it was really good. Really, uh, it's something I've been personally challenged with, just prayer in general, which we can talk about maybe a little bit. But as you as you studied, as you meditated on this passage, as you prayed through this passage, you know, prayer prayer a lot of times gets, I don't know, it gets a bad rap on some level. You know, you have prayer meetings, and it's not like it's, oh my goodness, everybody and their brother came out to the prayer meeting or the time of prayer, right? It's... I don't know, just what was God doing through you as you studied through this? What was he showing you? Well, it was very timely in many ways because like you, I think God over really the past year, God has been doing a work in my life uh, showing me a little bit more of the value and the purpose of prayer. Um, And so it was great for that reason. Uh, However, looking at the passage, there were plenty of times in my study I was going, oh man, why did I... (laughs) Like, why am I assigned this passage? You know, I want to pray, talk about prayer. It sounds great. Could we get a different passage on prayer? This one is just fraught with uh, interpretive challenges and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but God really used that. He allowed me to um, dig deep into it and do some study. And it was a reminder that we shouldn't be afraid of some of the academic study work that's involved in uh, in reading our Bibles at times. And uh, at the end of the day, it it showed me that this is really a cool passage because maybe more than most passages in the Bible about prayer, this one really highlights its effectiveness. I mean, so that's why the whole point of the message was that yeah. prayer changes everything because you read this and it's like, holy smokes, prayer is like raising up sick people. Sins are being forgiven. We should you know, be praying all the time, good times, bad times, because it changes everything. And so it it was really powerful for that reason, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It maybe let's let's go in maybe to the academic part that you and you even mentioned this in the message about um the oil. <laughs> Which you didn't you did, you you mentioned, but you didn't Yeah, I did. There's about. more than just the oil, really. Uh there's a lot of parts of this passage that are tough to interpret. And so let's talk about that a little bit and then we'll get into maybe more practical what does that look perfect. like? Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So uh when you read it, even you know, I just read the passage a minute ago and there are some things in there that bring up some question marks. Maybe the first one in there is where it says the elders are supposed to anoint someone with oil. Uh, that's not something we do super often. Uh, that seems kind of weird. Most people listening to this have maybe never experienced being anointed with oil. I've never been anointed with oil, I don't think. And yet it seems like he's, like James is saying, you should do this when somebody's sick. So why don't we see that more often? Uh, it's a fair question to ask. Um probably because people have different ideas of what that really means. I kind of gave you my, um, what I think is the best interpretation of that within the message on Sunday. Uh, We talked briefly about how oil is something that uh, throughout the Bible is used as a way of symbolically sort of setting someone apart 
uh, priests were anointed, kings were anointed, the tabernacle was anointed, and it's it's a way of saying this person or this place is something that's kind of set apart for God's special use. It's almost a place where where heaven meets earth. I think that the first time you see this mentioned, if I remember right, is after Jacob uh, has that vision where he sees a ladder uh, going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And after he has that vision, he anoints the stone that his head was resting on in oil. Uh, and I, he's basically saying, you know, like, this is, there's something crazy about this spot. Like, you know, surely God was here and I didn't even know it. And, uh, it's like a place where heaven meets earth. Mm-hmm. And so in a sense, the elders are anointing somebody as a way of symbolically setting this person apart for God of saying, we need heaven to meet earth right here and God to intervene and God to, to do something special. Um, there's other views besides that, and they're good views. Basically, you could there's views that that see the oil as something that's practical. Um, a common one would be that the oil is a healing agent. Um, if you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, Jesus talks about a guy who's beaten by bandits on the road, and then the Good Samaritan comes. And he bandages his wounds, and it says he anoints him with oil. Mm. Oil was super commonly used as for medicinal reasons. It kind of softened the skin and that sort of thing. Um, and so uh, people say, well, this is basically like saying you should pray over somebody and go to the doctor. Uh, you should pray over somebody and you should take medical steps. Um, I think that's a... I don't think that's what this passage is saying, but I would certainly agree with that in terms of the sentiment. Uh, you see that elsewhere in Scripture. Paul tells Timothy to take some wine for his stomach. Uh, you know, he applauds Luke, the the blessed physician, uh, and there's other ways. We see that the Bible is in nowhere, in no way, um, pushing us away from going to the doctor or anything like that. Um, but I don't think that's the the purpose of the oil within this statement, but some people view it that way. Some people see it as sort of a outward physical expression of concern that's meant to stimulate the faith of the sick person. Uh, and so you could think of Jesus performing miracles. And sometimes when Jesus performed a miracle, he does something different or weird where he incorporates kind of a physical element. You think of the blind guy that he spits in some dirt and makes it into mud and then plasters that over his eyes. Um, Jesus does stuff like that a couple of times, and people see the oil as something similar to that, where it's sort of a way of um, using a physical prop uh, to sort of help stimulate the faith of of a sick person. Uh, so those would be some more practical views of the oil. Then there's more symbolic views. I already told you mine, uh, and other people share that view. Another one that's a little bit different um, that I do think has some real things going for it, but it does seem to stretch it maybe a little too much, is to view the oil as completely symbolic. It's not really to be used at all. You don't use the oil because the word that that says you anoint somebody with oil, it's not the typical Greek word used for like a ceremonial anointing. 
It's just a word that means to rub somebody or something with oil. Um, and so they would say, this is sort of like Hebrews 10.24, where it tells us we should be spurring one another on towards towards love and good works. Um, the elders are supposed to pray over somebody, and then they, they in a, in a, in a not literal sense, they oil that person as in they are, that's a weird way to say it, but that's kind of, that's literally what it says. It says you pray for them after having oiled him is how it reads in the Greek. And it's saying you're kind of stimulating this person towards love and good works and saying, you can do this like God loves you and go out there and get them. And, uh, and you're praying for them as well. Mm. That could be another way to view it, which would sort of take the the literal oil and and needing to carry some olive oil around with you completely out of the picture. But those are some of the views for it. Uh, I lean towards the one that would say uh, you're symbolically sort of setting a person apart yeah. for God's special work. But there's there's good reasons to take other views. All of them, however. I think would continue in line with the the main thought that we presented on Sunday, which was that it's not the oil that changes anything um, in a crazy kind of way. It's not magic oil that heals you. It's the prayer of faith that raises somebody up, which does lead us into another piece of, <laughs> of not controversy, but difficulty in interpreting sort of an interpretive challenge, which is what is the prayer of faith? Because the verse really states it emphatically. It says the prayer of faith will raise the person up. And uh, we were I was prepping for the message, and I was talking to you. I said, Abe, have you ever anointed somebody with oil? Have yeah. you ever done this? And you said you had on a couple of occasions, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did the prayer of faith definitively always raise that person up? I'm trying to think back, because we've done it several times. Where yeah. We have uh, either people... Yeah, people have asked us to come and pray. We've prayed over people in hospitals. We've brought them in to an office and prayed over them specifically. And um, there are several that are doing well today. I mean, and it was, and it was, you know, they were sick. They were very sick. They were not going to make it on a lot of levels. Mm -hmm. And um, that was an interesting experience because, yeah, I mean, there wasn't anything special about the oil necessarily that we used. Um, but it was a very special time. It was, it was it young living or doTERRA <laughs> or what? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what it was. Um, but it was, it was a, it was very intimate. It was, it was very special. I mean, we laid our hands on them like we would do with a lot of things around here when we, you know, we set apart missionaries, right? We send them off, we do a commissioning service or, um, something, you know, someone's hurting. We would say, you know, Hey, let's go lay hands on that person and pray over them. Right. It was a lot of the same thing. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting thing, and I think you know, and this would be interesting to hear your take on this too, because you know, a lot of times you go down to verse sixteen where it says, "Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed." So we did we did talk to them about like, is there any unconfessed sin in your life before we pray for you? Yeah. So you've got you've got the the confession part, which we usually rip that passage out right and just. Confess your sins one to another, right? Yep. But I mean, it's it's very cl- close to yeah. the prayer and the oil and the healing. Yeah. And 
Pastor Pat's going to talk about the confession yeah. element next week. He's going to really dig into that. But uh, no, they're both in there. And uh, it does seem like the emphasis in this text is on somebody who's physically sick. And it maybe even alludes to them having sinned in a particular way. It, it references in two different places. Uh, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So you've got their sin being forgiven in verse 15 and in verse 16, talking about confessing your sin to one another so that you could be healed. Um, seems like sin and sickness, uh, this would be one of those texts that would show they many times go together. Now, we know from other parts of the Bible that that's not always the case. You take the book of Job. Um, it doesn't say right. that he was really, he got sick and boils and all this stuff because of sin in his life. He was actually a very righteous person, and mm -hmm. it was, uh, you know, sort of this testing brought on by the devil and and God that allowed it. Uh, Jesus is asked, um, there are some people that die in a tower that collapses, and the disciples say, like, what did, what did they do wrong? And Jesus said it wasn't because of their sin. Um, but... Um, so it's not always because of sin, but then there's that passage in 1 Corinthians where it's talking about people taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy kind of way, mm -hmm. and it says it's because of that sin that some of them had fallen asleep, which is a way of saying that they had died. Mm -hmm. So sometimes our sin does bring about sickness in our lives, and so that brings the confession and prayer element together to be a part of that healing process. Yeah. Um, in those people that, that you prayed over and even anointed with oil, though, I think when we talked before, you said some of them recovered, and it was like a pretty cool, almost miraculous thing. Some of them did not, however, mm -hmm. which does bring us to another kind of interpretive challenge in the text, which is that it says the prayer of faith will raise them up. And so the question is, man, did you guys just not have enough faith or did the person not have enough faith that was sick or what's going on? Seems like the faith is the the need for faith is kind of placed on the elders who are praying over the person and their prayer of faith is going to raise the person mm -hmm. up. But um there's just a question of what is the prayer of faith? Uh, is that a specific type of prayer? Is that um, just any time you pray that God would help somebody to get well? And that was the harder question for me to answer in my study. Um, I don't know that I have a terrific answer for that. I'll just give a few tidbits to help people yeah. uh, maybe think through that. The, the word for prayer of faith, uh, uses a different Greek word than any of the other times that prayer is mentioned within this passage. It doesn't use the normal word for prayer. It's a word that other places is translated as a vow. And so some people think, okay, this is this is like a different type of prayer. This isn't just you praying that somebody would get better. There's something unique about this prayer of faith that's going to raise somebody up. Um some uh, one of the probably the the thing that came most to my mind that was maybe the strongest idea in my mind was we've talked throughout this whole series about how James is wisdom literature. It's sort of the New Testament book of Proverbs right. almost. Mm -hmm. And so what it could be saying is it, it could be stating this in a very definitive kind of way. The prayer of faith is going to raise somebody up, just like the book of Proverbs says, "Hey." 
uh, train up a child in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they won't depart from it. Well, there's plenty of people that have raised their kids in a really great kind of way and their right, kids right. didn't follow it. Well, it's because it's wisdom literature. It's not meant to be a promise that you grab onto and say this happens 100% of the time. It's a general rule. And we could say pretty definitively that as a general rule, prayer changes everything. And so as a general rule, the prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of these elders, prayer of faith is going to raise somebody up. I think that's a good way to read it. Uh, some people would say this is a different type of prayer. This is like you're not uh, praying, sort of asking God, Lord, if it's your will, then uh, could you could you raise this person up? A prayer of faith might be saying, God, somehow the Spirit has, you have showed me that it is definitely your will to raise this person up. Now, that sounds a little uh, charismatic uh, for yeah. maybe a lot of people listening, um, but I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that maybe you and a group of elders are standing over somebody, you're praying over them, they're sick, they're bedridden, doesn't look like they're going to make it. You're saying, God, we really want this person to be to be healed, and you know, if it would be your will, please heal them. And maybe in that moment, in one of your minds, uh, the Spirit of God brings some sort of uh, assurance that this isn't just something you're hoping for, this is something God wants to do. And in that moment, you are sort of gifted this faith, and you're able to pray this prayer where it's like, I know this person is going to be healed, and and so in that case, you, you're speaking definitively, this is the will of God, and therefore 100% of the time that happens, it's going to raise that person up. That's one way you could interpret that as well. There are maybe some others that seem even less likely, so I won't even get into them. But uh, that's that. Those are some options for as you read the prayer of faith that that raises somebody up. The idea is still the same, and I tried to keep it simple within the message on Sunday. Prayer is what changes everything, mm -hmm. either as a general rule or as an absolute. In the case of you know a definitive prayer of faith that's going to raise somebody up, we need to have faith when we pray. Uh, we're trying to pray within the will of God. Jesus says, "If ask anything in my name, and it will be given to you in a very definitive type right. sense. And so when we're asking something in Jesus' name, that means we're asking it in accordance with his will. And so we just don't always know what his will is, uh, maybe unless you do. <laughs> unless you do. No, that's really good. Thanks for that. That's good to hear just your your study, your thoughts, the things you've dove into to yeah, look at the different interpretations that some would have on the oil and the the prayer. Yeah, and just um as a side note, if this is something that interests somebody a lot who's listening to this and you want to dig more into this type of stuff, uh I'm not like a genius. Um I just read <laughs> what, <laughs> like what is what's available out there. And uh, two of the best commentaries that I read um, were uh, one, I, I quoted uh, one of the guys uh, that I read from, J. Alec Motyer. He has a commentary, and off the top of my head, I can't remember what, um, it was a part of a series, um, but 
it's like green <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's, by, it's a James, a commentary on the book of James by J. Alec Motyer. That was really helpful. It's not long. It's not super academic. It really made it easy. And then there's another one uh, that's part of the Pillar Commentary series by Douglas Moo, as in the cow goes the cow. moo. And uh, that one is very highly rated a- among a lot of people. They s- people say that that commentary is one of the premier, uh, the best commentaries yeah. you can get on yeah. the book of James. And so those were two that were super helpful to me. I got a lot of other stuff from sermons that I listened to and that sort of thing, but... Uh, if you're interested in diving deep or looking more into those things, both of those commentaries are a great place to start, and they'll give you a lot of the views and reasons and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks, Andrew. Um, let's let's switch gears and go more practical. I guess I don't know if that's even the right way to say that, but like, just be you know, don't just be hearers, be doers of the word. And I think when we when we talk about prayer specifically, which is what this whole message was about, it's it. Like I said earlier, it's it's not something that maybe really excites people, or it, you know, we're a we're a doer. We got to be busy. We got to do stuff. We got to achieve. We've got to we've got a plan. We've got a process. We've got to get the meetings. We got to do all the things. We're gonna figure it out. We're gonna be problem solvers, right? Like, and then when that doesn't work, oh yeah, maybe I should stop and pray. Mm. and ask God for wisdom and for faith and for direction and for clarity and for God to do great things. Why is that? Why why is that the culture even in the church, not just not just in the world but in the church it even seems that way. It's the it does seem to be like the last thing we do. Like we get together, we have meetings, we have community groups, we do it, and it's oh yeah, and we should pray real quick. So I've got three answers. Okay. <laughs> um, in essence, you're asking, why don't we pray? <laughs> why? What's put pumping the brakes on prayer? And I think there's there's three big things. One is that we have an enemy that hates prayer. It's the devil, Satan. He is constantly seeking to undermine this he's trying to us yeah and and so satan attacks it and and we because of that we live in a world and a culture and a busy culture that really attacks it as well and we've got so many things going on and so many uh ways that our schedule is filled we just can't possibly imagine spending an hour in prayer i don't think i referenced this on sunday even though I, i maybe meant to um I was so challenged a couple years ago, more than a couple years ago, actually. It was when I was in high school. Uh, we had this night of prayer, um, and my Bible teacher, um, Mr. Seiler, still there at Grandview Christian School, Grandview Park Baptist while I was there, he was reading um, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and he goes up to his disciples and he said, you, can't even, you couldn't even pray with me for one hour? And I remember him reading that, and I thought, when was the last time I prayed for an hour? Mm. That's crazy. And Jesus sort of mentions it like it was just nothing. And so, like, you couldn't even do an hour. You couldn't even do easy mode here. 
And uh, that was a challenge to me. And even that's maybe one of the first times I can remember thinking like, I need to do something different related to prayer in my life. But anyway, all of that to say, I think we have an enemy that attacks prayer. So that's one reason we don't pray. Another reason is we just have too small a view of God. We, we think either God's not big enough to handle this or he's not big enough to care about it. Like, I think a lot of people would say, yeah, I believe God's all-powerful. I believe he could change this. But I don't know if I believe that he really cares about it. He doesn't care about how my day's going. He doesn't care that I'm sick. He doesn't care that my kid is a is really on my nerves today or whatever it may be. And that's a lie. God's bigger than that. He he cares about us. He cares about your day. He cares about what's going on. He cares about the big and the small and everything in between. And uh, we just have we have too small a view of God. We don't think that God has that much to offer. He's not really worth communicating with. And uh, we need a bigger view of God if we want to pray more. And then the last thing I would say is um, there's a problem for many people, and that's the problem of unanswered prayer. I tried it before. I prayed for something. I prayed really hard. I prayed with all the faith I could possibly muster, and God did not answer that prayer. So it must not work. And um, that's very challenging. I don't want to kind of skate past that and say get over it because for many people that's a huge prayer that they really feel like God let them down. I would just briefly say that we need to screen all of our unanswered prayers through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ. I I preached on prayer in our youth group a year ago, and I went through the Lord's Prayer. Um, We were talking through that, and I think the most powerful thing in my study of that, and really— Which is in Matthew 6. Yes, and— and, I, and it, was, it impacted a lot of students, too, uh, to be honest. A lot of people came up to me afterwards, and they were uh, just really impacted by this idea. Jesus says in the, the Lord's Prayer, you know, you should pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I said, you guys realize Jesus prayed thy will be done in another place, and that was in the Garden of Gethsemane, yeah. where he says, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus, with bleeding, sweating drops of blood, pleaded with God that this cup would pass from him. He said, not my will, but yours. And God said no to that prayer. Mm-hmm. And I, I would just sit with that for a second. God said no to Jesus's prayer. There was nobody more worthy of having their prayer answered. There was nobody who had lived a better life. There was nobody more precious to God. There's nobody. I mean, you put whatever lens you want over it. Sometimes we think, well, God didn't answer my prayer because I sinned, or God didn't answer my prayer because he doesn't love me enough. Or, Jesus was perfectly loved by God, perfectly within the will of God, perfectly obedient to God, perfect in every type of way, and God said no to his prayer. Why? Because it was through Jesus's death that salvation was going to come to you and to me. And so when you think about unanswered prayers in your life, realize that for one thing, you've got a high priest that can sympathize with you. Jesus knows what it's like for God to say no. Second of all, realize that maybe God's got a bigger 
story to tell through that unanswered prayer. Because God said no to Jesus, you and I have eternal life. Yeah. That's wild. And so we have to think when we're tempted to say prayer doesn't work, God didn't answer my prayers, I'm frustrated by this. Uh, that's an incredibly hard situation to go through, but we need to remember that God said no to Jesus' prayer, and that was a big deal. Yeah, and, and that is an answer, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say, well, he didn't answer my prayer mm-hmm. because it didn't, it didn't match with the answer that I wanted. But you did get an you are getting an answer. It's either no or wait or not yet. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever that is. I mean, I got stuff in my own life that I'm praying about right now that I'm I'm asking some of those questions like, yeah, but when, Lord? Like, yeah. When is that actually going to happen? When are you actually going to answer that prayer? And I have to realize like, yeah, God's got the perfect timing. I, I don't see it all. I don't understand it all. I don't get it. But I'm still told to pray and pray in faith, believing that God has a perfect. And I think when you look at it that way, I think then then we're not like always disappointed. I think we sometimes treat God as like this genie in the bottle, right? Like if I just do it just right and so, and if I pray like two times this week, like I should get an answer from God and it should be exactly what I asked for. I don't think that's the way it works. It, it, it's pray in faith, right? It, it's the idea of like, yeah, but I, my dependence. And I think that's something I've been learning just recently within you know, the last three months of just how self-sufficient I am and how I think I can, we can organize it. We can have a meeting. We can, you know, we get enough of the smart people in the room, we'll figure it out. And I'm just realizing how, proud that is, self-centered, self-sufficient that is, and I think God's just challenging me in that to be like, Abe, like, yeah, but are you going to come to me first? Mm. Not as the last resort, not as when everything else doesn't work, but first of all, like, I'm going to, that's my first thing is to go pray and to pray to the Lord and ask him, like, okay, I need wisdom, I need direction, I need to, you know, do I need to wait? Do we need to wait? I don't know, it's been, it's been something that's been um, it's been challenging, but, but loving it. I'm loving it. And it's just something, I feel like it's this new thing for me, even though as a pastor, like to say like prayer is like a new thing for me. Yes, I've prayed and yes, I, I do pray and I have prayed, but like, I don't know, just recently it's just, it's like a different level. I think that's encouraging for me and probably for a lot of people listening to hear, um, this is something that is working on in your heart and you're a pastor and you have been for quite a while now, but we can always grow in this area, right? Uh, you know, at the end of the service, Paul said some really kind words and uh, really had some great quotes uh, regarding uh, prayer and that sort of thing, but he, he said, you know, Andrew's the real deal when it comes to prayer, and I really appreciate that, but it was an encouragement to me, not just because of what he said, um, but maybe this can be an encouragement to you, the listener, uh, as well. I don't know if Paul would have said that about me a year ago. Mm. Um, but God's been doing a work in my heart. And, you know, I even mentioned when I preached on prayer about a year ago to our youth group, God just really impressed a lot on me like, man, this is an area you could really grow. And I'd studied a lot on prayer and read some books and other stuff. And it just sort of grew from there. And really, over the past 12 months, God has been 
making me more of a praying person. And I certainly haven't arrived anywhere yet, but uh, I'm growing. And now even somebody like Paul is saying, Andrew, he, he's the real deal, and I can stand up before the church and preach on Sunday and not feel like a total hypocrite because I right, do right. have a lot of practices of prayer in my life. Uh, but that that maybe wasn't the case a year ago. And so um, for our listeners, I think you can take a step today and maybe by this time next year, you might really look like a praying person. And there's a lot of great reasons to do that. And we've yeah. talked about a lot of them, yep. but, uh, you know, prayer changes everything. And then even what you just referenced, you talked about sometimes God says you need to wait and you've been praying for this stuff for a long time. Well, it's just like what I said at the end of the message. We don't just pray to get things from God. Yeah. Uh, although we do, we we pray because God causes things to happen that wouldn't otherwise happen unless we pray. I mean, that's clear within Scripture. And even the book of James, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. Yep. So ask. Yep. But we don't just pray to get things from God. We pray to get more of God. And prayer breeds intimacy with God. Um, I was really challenged. There's a book that both of us really enjoy. I'd recommend it to anybody listening. It's called uh, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by Tyler Staten. And uh, it's a great book on prayer, super practical, really helpful. And he has a quote in that verse or in that book where he says, um, fruitfulness in ministry is the collateral gain of intimacy with God. That's maybe a bit of a paraphrase, but we often want fruitfulness. Like Mm -hmm. we want the results. We want like to be able to, you know, as a high school director, I want to look at our youth ministry and see fruit that's coming. I want to see people made more like Jesus. I want to see numbers go up. I want to see people that are making decisions for Christ, uh, you know, either being saved or getting baptized or quitting some sort of sin or whatever it may be. And so I want that fruitfulness. And so I pray for that fruitfulness and I want God to bless and I want him to do things. But fruitfulness is the collateral gain of intimacy with God. It's not often something that's removed from that. I need to be the real deal on Wednesday night. I need to I need to have this intimacy with God that then breeds that fruitfulness within the ministry. And so uh, when you're praying and God hasn't answered yet or he said, wait, or whatever, remember that the goal is not just the fruitfulness or the getting the thing that you wish God would do in your life. It's about getting more of God. And, um, you know, I think of going back to Matthew chapter 6, right before I think it's right before uh, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is talking about prayer, and he says, this is what you should do when you pray. You go into your room and close the door, and you pray like in secret, <laughs> and your Father who sees what's in secret will reward you. Well, how's he going to reward you? He's When you're praying, when no one else is listening and no one else is there, God rewards you by being there, by, by giving you more of himself in that secret place. And yeah. so um, that's, I mean, I the more I pray, the more I see that as my biggest goal in prayer. Like, I just want intimacy with God. I want to, to have him next to me, listening to me, hearing my heart, understanding 
my situation and uh, I want intimacy with God. And I think anybody who has ever rubbed shoulders with somebody who was really intimate with God, you know, you notice that, right? You know when somebody's like living and breathing Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that changes you, that inspires you, that motivates you. Uh, and it makes the words that they say and the things that they do that much more powerful because you can just sense this person's been with God. And uh, that's the kind of person I want to be. I, I want people to sense that in me. I want our students mm -hmm. to sense that. Yeah. And and so um, that's what I'm after when I'm praying. I want more of God. Yeah. No, I love that. I'll, I'll make one comment here, and then you can have the final thought, and we can wrap this up. But I think the... Um, the intimacy, you know, several months ago, I was really challenged by the Mary and Martha um, mentality of mm. um, I'm the Martha who's running around, busy, serving, whatever, doing all of the things to get stuff done. And there's that that sense of I'm accomplishing something, I'm being successful, I'm serving the Lord, I'm being spiritual. And, and it was like God said, like, Abe, I need you to be Mary and, like, in the sense of sit at my feet, quit running around, <laughs> and just be with me, which is the intimacy part. Yeah. Just be with me and stop running frantic. And and listen, it's it's a large church with a lot of people and a lot of ministries and staff and in the Engage Network, and there's lots to do. There's lots to get done. There's lots of meetings to have. And I'm at a point of like, yeah, but I can't, I can't do that at the expense of being intimate with the Lord and, and, and spending that time in prayer and getting my heart right and, and, and asking God to do great things, big things, uh, changing hearts, changing lives, saving people. And, I, and it's just, um, I guess I would just, I would say to the person listening, you know, so I think some of us, and I think I have to do this and I've had to do this, but just to confess how proud we are and self-reliant we are mm. thinking we can, we can do it and we can figure it out. It's just so arrogant. And I, I don't, even as I say it out loud right now, I'm like, how arrogant of me, why would I not want to go spend time with the Lord who is, the, he is the creator and sustainer of all things. Like, why in the world is that my last resort? Yeah. It just makes no sense to me. I mean, I don't know. It's like this light bulb is going off in my heart of... So I would just say to those those of you listening, like, man, just remember who we are and remember who we serve as believers. And, like, we desperately, desperately need to be with Jesus and have that intimate time. So I guess I just encourage everyone to... I don't know what that looks like for you. If you go on a prayer walk or you sit in a room or in a closet or whatever you do, but man, we just need to be with Jesus. And that, that's gotta be okay. And not just okay, but absolutely necessary. Yeah. So that's, that's my thought. Finish well, us off. Yeah. Here's the closing thought. Um, not only do we need that, but it's the best way to live. It's so worth it. There's no reason why you wouldn't. Prayer is not a drag, a checklist right. that I need to do be just because I need to. We do need to, but man, I, I think of this verse from Psalm 16, 
love this verse. Many people maybe know it. In, in verse 11, he says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I think about that in relationship to prayer. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Man, if I'm praying and I'm not joyful, then I'm doing something wrong. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And there's no better way to live your life than in intimacy with God. I think of 1 Peter chapter 1, I think it's verse 8, where he says, uh, Though you haven't seen him, you love him. And, and even though you don't see him now, you're filled with like a great and inexpressible joy. And I'm like, where is this joy coming mm-hmm. from? It's yeah. because they're with Jesus. They don't see him, but they love him. And that's the type of experience we can have in yeah. prayer. I don't see God, but I love him. And I'm filled with an inexpressible joy because it's in the presence of God that there is fullness of joy. So what's stopping us from being people of prayer? Yep. And, and, and what was the statement you said? A praying church is, is filled with praying people. Yeah. Right? If Sailorville Church is going to be a praying church, and I think biblically that should be what, what defines us, uh, praying churches are made up of praying people. And so it starts with us asking yep. ourselves, am I a praying person? So uh, let's do it. Yeah. Not because we need it and because that's where the joy is. Yeah. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Thanks for your insight and even just your passion as I'm sitting here listening to you uh, and watching you, you know, your passion for prayer and for the Lord is exciting, exciting to see. So thanks. Thanks, Abe. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. And thanks everybody for listening. Yep.